Trigger warning, this episode will discuss topics that might trigger trauma, including sexual assault. Remember to put yourself first and switch the episode off if you need to. Australia Explained, keeping you on top of all things down under. In this episode of Australia Explained, we break down the allegations of sexual assault within Australia's federal parliament, what happened and what's currently being done. Hello everyone, my name is Tanya Ragusa. And I'm Vanessa Di Grazia. And welcome back to another episode of Australia Explained. We'd like to start by acknowledging that we're recording this podcast on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations, and we pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Now, listeners have been asking us to do this episode for ages, and we've been really hesitant to. We wanted to wait until the story had come full circle and... You know, we're all about giving you information rather than jumping on the media frenzy. And for a while, there were so many conflicting stories and emotions that we thought we'd wait a while, allow all the information to come out so that we can give you the most informed response. Yeah, for sure. And this week, this story came to not an end, but a sort of close, which we'll detail later. Um, But from looking at the media, you wouldn't actually know. Like, all the news pages, The Guardian, the ABC, um, The Herald Sun, across different spectrums of, like, the political sphere, are saturated with stories about the India travel ban and the pandemic. I actually couldn't find one homepage story about what's happening at the moment with the sexual assault allegations. Yeah, which is exactly why we are here to clarify what has happened recently and will happen from now on. Um, now that we have all the information and that the media cycle, and and probably everyone listening, has forgotten about it. And just a quick disclaimer, um, we'll loosely refer to men as perpetrators and women as victims in this conversation. And just a reminder, 97% of all sexual assault is committed by men. Although it's not all men, it's enough of a majority for us to be able to say, men, please don't come for us, we get it. So, of course, a brief overview. We're going to run over a quick timeline because a lot of you probably know these events, but there were multiple stories running simultaneously and it could have gotten quite confusing for everyone. So we want to map them out as clearly as possible for you. Yeah, it was super confusing. Even I was confused. (laughs) So fair enough. Um, Firstly, we've got the story of Brittany Higgins. And this all kicked off on Feb 15 when Brittany, who was a staffer for the Liberal Party, says that she was raped in Parliament House in 2019. So she told news.com.au that after a night of drinking with colleagues, she got into a taxi with a male staffer thinking that she was going home. Instead, he took her to Parliament House to the office of Defence Minister Linda Reynolds. This is what Brittany says happens at about 2am. The first thing that sort of awoke me was I was in a pain. My leg was kind of being crushed. The senior staffer was on top of me. I, was, I woke up mid-break, essentially. So she says she was crying, begging him to stop, and was left with a bunch of bruises. She was left naked on the couch in Linda Reynolds' office and was discovered by security. Now, in the coming days, she did disclose what happened to her chief of staff and was called to have a meeting about it in that exact same office the rape occurred. Now, another important detail was that the office was cleaned um, routinely as it is every day, so a lot of the evidence had been wiped away. 
Um, but she didn't go to the police at the time because it was made pretty clear that it could affect her job prospects and the possibility of her retaining her job. And for anyone who's out there asking, why would she come forward now? Uh, well, Brittany has stated that she couldn't bear to work there anymore and felt that resigning from her post and coming forward with her story was the only option. And almost as if to clarify how toxic the parliament culture is to the rest of Australia, two weeks after these allegations surfaced, good old Linda Reynolds, the minister whose office this offence was committed in, was discovered calling Brittany a quote-unquote lying cow. Mm. And no, this is the woman who would have been leading that meeting that occurred right after the incident in her office. Yeah. And as soon as this becomes public, Linda Reynolds quickly apologises through the media. She sues the staffer who leaked that information. She donates a bunch of money to sexual assault organisations and announces she won't be returning from the medical leave she was currently on. Now, if there was ever going to be a list of actions that simply don't add up, or while they do add up, because we could see what she was doing, but actions that don't add up, that would be it. Um, So continue to undermine and threaten women around you speaking up while trying to construct a public image of decency Mm. and care. It's very much the definition of the dodgy politician. Mm. And we're not rating it, Linda. (laughs) You're a stark reminder that it's not just men that perpetuate these kinds of toxic principles. Unfortunately, we are all in it together. And that it's a toxic thing within Parliament as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, over the coming weeks, five more women came forward with stories about the safe, the same staffer who assaulted Brittany. So, Brittany was one of the stories that happened to be released in this big press cycle. But running simultaneously to this was another story about Attorney General Christian Porter, who's pretty much Australia's federal lawyer. And at the time that this story had been released, we didn't know that it was Christian Porter initially. He was unnamed. And a little over a week after Brittany made headlines, the ABC reports that an unnamed senior minister has been accused of rape through a letter that was sent to the Prime Minister. And this letter contained a statement from the victim who took her own life just under a year ago. This is a historical allegation. Um, She claimed it happened when she was 16 in 1988. Yeah, so this was an unnamed senior minister, which obviously drew up a lot of um, questions about who it was. And then it was revealed that it was Christian Porter. So some background on Mr Porter. Mm -hmm. He's a Lib minister that has been in federal politics for over 10 years. Basically, he's one of the big guys. He's been ministers in, in a lot of different portfolios. Famously, he was the social services minister that oversaw the Centrelink robo-debt program, the cashless welfare card, and drug tests on welfare recipients. Mm -hmm. So he made a lot of changes in that space. Um, As attorney general, he did do some good things, including calling on the institutions to implement the findings of the Royal Commission into child sex abuse. He also did some not-so-good things. Mm -hmm. He extended a religious freedom bill that protected the rights of hospitals to employ people based on religious beliefs. And he also repealed Medivac laws, which we talk about in our Asylum Seeker episodes um, from last year. And if you're wondering if Christian Porter's name was familiar, (laughs) a few months ago before this story came out, he was the subject of a Four Corners report about something called the Bunk ban that they were introducing within Parliament, was, which was basically about banning relations, relations between staffers in Parliament. And he, was, he and another minister were at the centre of it. And 
a, a few stories came out about his inappropriate uh, behaviour towards women and his treatment of women. So he has been within this spotlight before, uh, but this really came to a head earlier this year. And watching Porter's response sort of tore me up in a little, in you know, a little bit, because I think everyone's first instinct was, can this guy like read the room? Can <laughs> it was he, ridiculous. Can he seriously just? see what his words are doing he firstly denies the claims that he ever did such a thing and secondly he goes on a bit of a spiel about how allegations can ruin men's lives we will play that right now and any person in australia can lose their career their job their life's work based on nothing more than an accusation that appears in print and we thought is he so tone deaf that he's failing to see that this kind of discourse is exactly what women are so sick of. And then I remembered that maybe we are the ones who are misreading the room because there is still a huge chunk of Australians that do not take sexual assault seriously and genuinely do see this kind of chat and allegations as nothing more than damage to the lives of men, particularly young men and who have good prospects and good futures and it's like oh shame that their names are being ruined and their reputation is being tarnished poor men Mm. (laughs) there's this huge irony in him being the attorney general of australia as the leading representation of the law in this country and then you compare that to his comments because Mm. rape as a crime is one that seeps through the cracks of our justice system because it is so difficult to prove so according to the law He's right. They're, they're nothing more than allegations and little can be done to prove that it happened, especially because it happened so long ago, yeah. but not exclusively as you were talking about with Higgins, the office was clean and the evidence was gone. Mm. Um, but the law directly disadvantages victims of sexual crimes and benefits the perpetrators in this sense. But when you think about it, why on earth would this woman, who has since committed suicide and has no public standing, she's not publicly named bother to lie to the Prime Minister before her death. Like, Mm. she has nothing to lose and he had everything to lose and it just makes no sense to me. She wouldn't do it just to gain some media attention. Yeah, she's dead. Because she's not here. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we have to take this letter seriously and I know we did, um, whether Australians like us did as well is another question. Porter announces he's suing the ABC and the journalist Louise Milligan, uh, who published the allegations. But can we just take a moment here to say props to the hardworking journalists who risk their livelihoods to take on the big guys and public these kind of stories. They put their names to these articles, so well done to them for really wanting to report the important stuff. Mm, They're massive troopers, Mm -hmm. we appreciate it. Um, This is another slight tangent thing to add. After this press conference, Porter announces that he's going on stress leave. And we mentioned before how Linda Reynolds extended her medical leave when these controversies came to light. And these politicians seem to be able to easily throw around huge periods of paid leave. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious to know, like, listeners, please let us know if this irked anyone else as much as it irked me. Mm -hmm. Because it definitely contributed to my sense of disbelief and anger, you know, They're being confronted with the consequences of their actions, something that happens to all of us. Mm -hmm. I mean, we all make mistakes, not necessarily mistakes as bad as theirs. But their response is to ditch and go on cushy paid leave. Yeah. (laughs) Like, do they not understand that 99% of Australians do not have that choice? It just felt super out of touch to me. I don't know about you. 
Yeah, and I guess we'll never really know the circumstances of their leave, whether they did need to take that leave to deal with allegations or, I guess, the ramifications that it would have upon their mental health. It's also a pattern that you might see within the AFL. Um, If anyone is familiar with the story of Jonathan Patton from Hawthorne Football Club, he also came out with allegations of mistreatment towards women and he took medical leave and he took, um, I guess, mental health leave. So it is definitely something that, happens often and we will never know the true circumstances of that leave and whether it was genuine but I do I do know you understand I definitely did pick up on it myself and I thought okay are we just escaping the issue or is there something else there um so that was the second major story that was running at this time so we have Brittany Higgins we have Christian Porter and then we have all these little extra details the extras that really just started to (laughs) rise to the surface And it really drew this story about, I guess, the Liberal Party. And we all came to a realisation that this is a culture that exists across all parties in Parliament. It is a Parliament thing. Mm -hmm. For sure. Um, Definitely not just a Liberal thing. Specifically, there was a Facebook group of women who work for the Labour Party that this Facebook group contained a bunch of allegations of senior male party figures pressuring them for sex, kissing them without consent, insulting them in really crude language, and taking intoxication as a sign for consent, a.k.a. sexual assault. Yeah, definitely not consent. No. Then Channel 10 releases videos of a coalition male staffer masturbating on a female MP's desk, which... I know a lot of us have seen and it was very disturbing. Uh, But apparently this is a part of a common joke in Parliament where blokes send each other videos of themselves doing this in various females' offices without their knowledge. Funny joke, hey. These are the people that are running our country. These are actually... Anyway, I'm not going to even start. Um, It was also exposed that the prayer room at Parliament House is regularly used for sex, including with sex workers. And, I mean, I'm all down for the empowerment of sex work, Mm -hmm. but... I would never engage a sex worker at the government institution in which I work. I hope that you would not either. In any workplace. (laughs) For sure. And I expect my politicians to hold themselves to that standard also. Um, Also, the prayer room thing is kind of funny, if not blasphemous, just because ScoMo is so religious. Mm, Definitely (laughs) a a mismatch there. But yeah, all these three stories started emerging at once and we really got this picture of, I guess, the nature and the culture of sexual assault within Parliament and how rife it is. We hope that we've cleared it up for you guys because these stories were so overlapping that I think the details of different stories intertwined in each other, but it is good to know they were pretty separate um, events. Yep. What has the PM's response been to all this? So ScoMo was very quiet throughout the early stages of these stories being released, probably because the only thing he did say was absolutely appalling. (laughs) To put it one way. And we'll play it in case some of you have forgotten. Jenny and I spoke last night and she said to me, You have to think about this as a father first. What would you want to happen if it were our girls? Jenny has a way of clarifying things, always has. 
You should be able to have empathy for a woman without placing her in the context of your daughter. Mm. And you should not need your wife to explain to you why the rape of another person is wrong. And this got me thinking there should be some sort of basic emotional intelligence test you need to pass to become PM, like you kind of do in the army, how you do like psychological tests Um, and police, because, excuse my language, but this was cooked. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I know. And... It, it's weird looking back on it because at the time it was so heavily spread around social media and there was a lot of discourse and I think we were guilty of forgetting about it for a while because it did leave the media cycle and we've replayed these audios and it's just... The shock has come back. It oh, it's still just, shocking. It does yeah. not... It has not minimised at all. Um, the Prime Minister's office denied knowing about either of the rapes, so Brittany Higgins or Christian Porter, Although this has been clarified to be very unlikely, on March 15, when tens of thousands of protesters rallied around the country in response to all these allegations, ScoMo was nowhere to be seen, but instead infamously lamented in Parliament it was a triumph that the protesters were not met with bullets. He really did do some wonders. The hallmark of a great democracy, hey. Hey, hey, but a month after all of this began, he finally spoke to the public properly about these allegations in a press conference. And for anyone that watched this press conference, from a public relations point of view, it was amazing. Mm. Like, this bloke has such a talent for being able to be in a certain message, and I'm not even trying to be sarcastic. That's the quality of a politician. Yeah. Um, he's, he's able to show a certain persona when he needs to, apparently. He did it after the bushfires, and he did it again in this press conference. Yeah, and for anybody that hasn't seen this press conference, he essentially breaks down in tears about how he's shocked and disgusted by everything that's being revealed, finishing up with the winner quote that women have been dealing with this crap for all their lives, which is true. And, you know, I appreciate that he could recognise that. I also appreciate that. (laughs) And this brings us to where the story sits now. So a couple of days ago, Brittany Higgins met with the PM. He acknowledged that the system had let her down and they discussed reform moving forward. And a key reform of this is going to be changing legislation that allows MPs to sack staff if they, quote unquote, lose trust in them, which is obviously a very vague reasoning and it gives them far too much power over their staffers. They can basically fire them arbitrarily for any kind of reason. Um, There's also a commission launching into the allegations and the general culture of sexual assault in Parliament House. So this is moving forward. Yeah. And in terms of Christian Porter, the end of the story is essentially the beginning. He's an innocent man under the law, the PM says, and they will not be launching an investigation into what happened. So if the allegations are true, Porter has gotten away with it. And I guess, yeah, he's back at work. There are so many things to tease out in this episode. And so in the interest of not having you here for an hour... Which we could do. <laughs> we could so do it. Just dare us. Um, we're going to focus on just two. And please note, this part of the app is going to be a little bit different to normal because we kind of just want to have a conversation about it. So it'll be a little less informative, I'm sorry, and a bit more of a discussion. Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing we want to discuss is men's participation in the anti-sexual assault movement. Obviously, these events have shot up activism about sexual assault in Australia, and some of us have said this is Australia's, you know, hashtag Me Too movement. And I have to agree with them. I don't think we've ever seen women's rights so spotlighted in the modern era, I guess. Obviously, we're not going to deny second wave and third wave feminism. Yeah. But 
in my lifetime, I've never seen women's rights so heavily mm. focused upon. I've never seen as many people caring as, yeah. as have in the past couple months. Yeah. And one thing that has been simultaneously heartening and disheartening has been all the men in my life that have been interested and participating in this conversation. And, I mean, it's well-known amongst women that we need men to fight this with us. You know, we need men to be calling out their friends and keeping themselves accountable, learning what consent really is, all of these things to have a chance of moving into a world without sexual assault. Yeah, and it has been amazing to see so many men having this realisation. I think the sad thing of it is that the trigger for these guys to care has been their pure shock at how big of an issue this is. And I know in my conversations, a similar sentiment has come up of, you know, I knew this was a thing, but I had no idea how common it was. But I also, but I think they don't realise how much it manifests in every inch of our lives. And just those minuscule thoughts that we have every day that a male would not even encounter. So things like, I shouldn't wear this today, or I shouldn't walk here today, or I shouldn't leave my drink there, or, you know, don't be a tease, and et cetera, et cetera. I think those micro decisions that we make every day are the most telling of our experiences. For sure, and it's good that a lot of men are realising this now, because obviously we want you on board, we want you to know what we're going through, but it just amazes me that they didn't realise until this point. Because we're all living in the same world, but we're living in completely different realities. Yeah, Yeah, it's so odd. Mm -hmm. Um, Secondly, we want to discuss how these ideas are formed in our youth. So for a lot of women, sexual assault happens before you even get the chance to understand what consent means. Mm -hmm. I know like amongst myself and my friends, we we get older and we look back at situations and realise, wow, that was not consensual yeah yeah like that was not okay and it can be really jarring and it can be really confusing and i and i guess that really explains why so many women can't come out with their story straight away or they feel like they're not in a position to because you are having to process those thoughts and i can only imagine the trauma of trying to figure out whether something was consensual or not or coming to the realization that it wasn't Mm -hmm. how that would actually impact you so i think it really does because there is a large discussion about, well, why come out now after all these years? And it's okay. It, and I think it's a big discussion about, you know, we need to be able to understand what has happened to us before we come out about it. And not to take away accountability, but the men probably don't have a good understanding of what consent is at such a young age either. So males aged 15 to 19 offend at the highest rate. So, for example, Christian Porter's case was when he was a teenager. And this is not a case of, oh, they're young, it's fine, it's normal, because the victims are so heavily traumatised for life. So it's important that we address it as, you know, youth and and we correct the behaviours of youth because Mm -hmm. it can have such jarring effects. Yeah, which is a part of education, which is about parenting and all these different things. Um. I would encourage anyone listening, especially the men, to think back on their actions when they were young and maybe identify when things might not have been consensual Mm -hmm. because it might be a human nature to want to bury these things, Um, but it's only by acknowledging them that we can begin to reconcile and move on from them. And, I mean, obviously it's not a great thing to do, but if maybe you've done something as a teenager that now you understand was wrong, at least you're owning up to that. Yeah, and... Um, I've had a friend recently who came forward on his social media and sort of just spoke about his thoughts on many of these issues to really just highlight some of his own misconceptions. And I think putting yourself out there, highlighting where the flaws in your 
thoughts or ideologies may be is an important process as well. Um, everyone needs to be open to learning and in order to do that we need to recognise where we can improve and, and where the gaps need to be filled. So I think um, it's important that we address any, I guess, beliefs that we've formed about this issue um, before it's too late, I guess. And that's applicable to any context. Yeah, everything absolutely. You, just said. you need to, I guess, recognise where you can improve. Mm-hmm. Um, and if anything, this pattern in young offenders highlights how important it is to integrate consent education into schools. This is quite a large topic at the moment. Um, it has been a part of the health curriculum for a while now, but since all of this media attention, the New South Wales Department of Education has created a new curriculum concerning consent. Um, we know that a lot of it wasn't received well and that some of the consent programs that were developed were not sufficient. Um, but we can probably expect something similar out of the other states soon, which is awesome. We just need to make sure that it is representative of the issue and it is educating uh, teens and youth in an informative way. And remember, education doesn't just happen in schools. It's all about educating your family, your cousins, all these sorts of things, yeah. just making it a part of your daily practice in life yeah conversations at the dinner table i have a lot of political debates at the dinner table so (laughs) anything like that whenever you can correct a misconception or just challenge someone to think a little bit differently or consider another viewpoint is important we're really fun at parties yeah (laughs) (laughs) and now it's time for our recommendations so vanessa what have you got for me and our listeners today I've got a really, 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 really yeah, great book. I'm so intrigued to read this now. Oh, I can't believe you haven't read it. Mm. Um, it's called Know by Name. Know my name, sorry. <laughs> and it's I'm so excited, I can't even speak. <laughs> and it's by Chanel Miller. So this is a book written by the survivor of the Brock Turner rape case in the US. Some of you might remember that blonde kid whose face was plastered all over the internet after he served only three months for the crime. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a sad but empowering and informative read that looks into how victims are treated by the legal system through Chanel's story. And although it's set in the US, the same principle applies here um, in terms of the systems and how the victims are treated. And it's honestly one of my all-time favourite books. It's amazingly written. It's a great story. um, Awesome. Yeah, I'm definitely very, very interested to read that one. And my recommendation is just to talk to someone you know. If you're a female talk to other females if you're a female talk to a male if you're a male just listen to a female identifying person in your life because like I said sometimes it's the micro decisions and the micro thoughts that we make on a day-to-day basis that a lot of people wouldn't know we have that are the most telling of our experiences as women facing this issue you know, like I said, those little things like who do I sit next to on a train or tram or making sure my headphone volume is low enough that I could hear someone approaching. It's those things that I guess many people wouldn't consider or even think about um, really highlight, I guess, the issue and some of the things that haunt us. And even conversations amongst girls are really useful because you might realise that someone's gone through the same thing as you or, yeah, it just helps you understand it a bit better. Absolutely. And that's it from us today. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we hope out of all things it was informative. So let us know what you think. We're always interested to hear your thoughts and have a discussion about it. 
If you don't already, please follow or subscribe, depending on your app, to our podcast. That's the best way that you can support us. Yep. Um, in the meantime, follow us for more short, sweet, and simple Aussie content on Instagram at Australia Explain Pod. As always, all the info is in the show notes for you to check out. And if you like the episode, tell a friend about it. Share the love. Leave a review. <laughs> so many things you can do. <laughs> so many things you can do. Why hurry up and do it? Come on. <laughs> um, and we will see you in two weeks' time. Bye. Bye. Everyone.